welcome back to Activity Quest, the podcast that's packed with stuff to do. In this week's episode, Adam's off to Woburn Safari Park and we're getting hands-on and teeth in too with some very interesting pumpkins. My name is Bex and every episode of Activity Quest starts with a fun kids presenter doing something awesome. So last week, Adam visited Woburn Safari Park to find out about their brand new Discovery Zone. This week, he's going for a drive. I'm Abby. I'm the marketing manager here at Woburn Safari Park. So Woburn Safari Park opened in 1970 and we're a massive wildlife collection. We sit in 360 acres of beautiful parkland that is actually within another 3,000 acres of Deer Park cannot put into words how excited I am to be here today. I'm at Woburn Safari Park. Abby, talk to me about some of the animals that I'm going to see. There are nearly a thousand animals in total, not including the native species. So around about 80 species of exotic and endangered wildlife. Um, from the tiniest being our new harvest mice up to the largest land mammal, which is the elephant, of course. So we have Asian elephants. The very first part of the park is the road safari. You do need your own car. And immediately, once you're through the ticket gates, you're into the savannah grasslands, home to a whole variety of African species. Hello, I'm Helen. I'm on the education and VIP team. So these are southern white rhinos. They've got really good hearing, really good sense of smell, poor, very poor eyesight. So anything over about five or six metres to a rhino is a blur. These guys weigh about um, one and a half tonnes, slightly more some of the the two older girls, Um, but they can run at about 30 miles an hour and have the acceleration of a small sports car. And we are about two metres away from it right now. (laughs) Don't look so worried. There are also eland and zebra here and ostriches too. We're going to take an ostrich away from the keeper now. Jenny's being plagued by an ostrich. So this is one of our female ostriches. So they can run at um, over 40 miles an hour. They're the biggest flightless bird. And if you look at their toes, they do look like dinosaurs. They've got one big toe and one little toe. And those feathers are used to keep them warm. A lot of people think that Africa's warm all the time, but actually at night it can get quite cold. So those feathers act a bit like a duvet. Very inquisitive birds, but um, yeah. (laughs) One's trying to get Adam through the window. (laughs) And the keepers are dotted around the entire place here? Dotted around the park. Um, There's a keeper usually down here because we've got the gates into the carnivore section. So if any of the animals are heading this way, it's just to keep them away from the gates into the carnivore section. And also to stop people doing silly things. You'd be surprised how many people try and uh, get out of their cars and things like that in the park. So they're there to keep the animals safe, but they're also there to keep our guests safe. One of the greatest things is the Amur Tiger. Once you're through the double security gates, you'll find yourself entering the kingdom of the carnivores. Amur Tigers come from Siberia. They're the largest of the big cat species and well-known for their strength. 
we were saying earlier, these gates reminded us of Jurassic Park. <laughs> so it's a, basically a double lock system so that um, it's a fail safe if the um, carnivores get as far as these gates, um, then obviously they're still contained. So the gates are opening and we're going into a very special system. The gate's going to shut behind us and then another set of gates are going to open and then we're going to be in the carnivore section. Helen, anything we should and shouldn't do whilst we're in the carnivore section and what are we going to see? Right, well in the first section we've got our tigers. So we've got Amur tigers and we should, all of the guests are asked to have their windows shut. Now as you're with me, you can have your windows open a little bit because I'm going to keep you safe. But you might hear um, loud Tannoy's asking people to shut their windows. So normal guests have to keep all of their windows shut for the whole of this section. In our first enclosure, we've got Amur tigers. So we've got two tigers. We've got a male and a female. They're solitary animals, which means they live by themselves in the wild. So we'll only have one out on the reserve and one will be in the side paddock. So these are probably the most unpredictable of the animals we've got here at the park. So they will not be herded by the Land Rovers. So we always make sure we keep give them space because she will um, chase us if we get too close. She's sat over there. Oh yeah, I can see. Seeing such a beautiful animal close up with just a car door between it and me was stunning. So she's just coming for a little stroll now. You can see she owns the uh, her enclosure. She walks with purpose down towards the keeper truck. And carnivores will try and get behind you, especially tigers. They will always see attack from behind. So she will try and get behind Land Rovers if she wants to push you away. So she's actually just laid down between us and the keepers. So she's quite close to us at the moment. This is probably as close as you want to be to a tiger. And in terms of feeding, what, how, does, how does that work here? So she gets fed every day. She gets between five and seven kilos of meat every day. And that's when she goes back into her house in the evening is to encourage her to go back. So she gets fed every evening. She's just looking at us now, <laughs> sniffing. So what can I smell? Humans. Yeah. <laughs> Lunch, I think, is what she can smell. didn't stop there. One of the most fun parts of the safari is the African forest, although I'm just going to call it the monkey section. We are just like a climbing frame for them, so the cars coming in that uh, just gives them something else to play on. This one's just chilling out. Just this chilling. one's not bothered at all. So there's one on top of our car, there's one on the bonnet of a car, a few cars ahead, and one on the roof of a car, a few cars ahead of that. So you see these guys are just, this one's foraging for food, so he's had seeds and nuts put out, so he's just looking in the grass. They will groom each other as well, that's all part of their sort of working out who's the boss and social structures of the monkeys, so they will groom, lots of grooming goes on, lots of playing as well. I could watch them all day, <laughs> genuinely could. <laughs> 
very lucky getting to make this program is one of the best things ever because you get to have amazing experiences it's time to feed some giraffes. So we are off-road again, and we are heading now towards some absolutely gorgeous giraffes, these Rothschild giraffes. We were going to let Adam feed them, but they're all running off at the moment. They've seen me. That's the problem. <laughs> they thought, no thanks. <laughs> so if you hold that out the window... Oh, so I'm winding my window all the way down. I'm grabbing a branch. Come in, Tom. You can come down as well. Do my best impression of a tree. This is willow, so they'll eat pretty much any deciduous leaf. This is something that you can do too. It's part of a VIP experience that Woburn Safari Park offer. So if you hold on tight to it, she will. You'll see how she strips the leaves off of the. Oh. She is quite strong as well. I'm going to hold it tight with both yeah, hands. Hold it tight. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that feels amazing, doesn't it? Strong, right? It's yeah. Again, I'm I'm speechless, which is absolutely rubbish for for the radio. <laughs> but I have never been, and I don't imagine I ever will be, this close to an animal like this again. You know, you see them on TV all the time. You don't actually kind of appreciate how big and yeah and beautiful they are if you can't get on a vip experience don't worry because once you've finished the road safari which by the way you can go around as many times as you like it's time to head to the leisure zone you can grab some food some drink go for a wee we're all animals and this is also where the education centre is. Yeah, so I'm Natasha and I'm the head of education here at Robin Safari Park. Um, and my role is very varied. So it will involve things such as um, running our home educator days, um, getting involved with our school workshops and also our um, kind of seasonal things. So like Halloween and Christmas that are coming up at the moment. Um, also kind of um, assisting with college and university school groups, um, arts and crafts, you know, it's so varied. So our typical workshop um, will kind of involve a variety of different activities. So obviously we want to make sure that any children that are coming to us, um, you know, in October and then December for our Christmas workshop, they're experiencing something different to keep it exciting. Um, so a lot of the practical skills that they will learn um, is kind of learning what it would be like to be a zookeeper. So unfortunately it does involve getting a little bit dirty, uh, picking up lots of poo. Um, <laughs> they learn about that. Um, they will learn about how the animals behave and why the enclosures are the way they are. Um, to help them relate that to their habitat that they might be learning at school. Um, they also learn about the importance of enrichment. So making lots of, I guess, toys and activities for the animals to do to keep them um, from becoming bored. Um, and then the kids will also learn about our... Um, off-road adventure as well so we will give them lots of um educational facts but also some very silly facts um so a lot of the time we often put children off eating maltesers um because giraffe poo does look like maltesers <laughs> thanks obviously the the bulk of our admissions um go towards um a huge amount of 
different research and conservation projects um, and a lot of our schools get involved with these research projects as well and help raise money for these charities that we support um, probably one of the um, kind of most engaging one that we had was our elephant walkathon um, where we asked children um, in their schools to get involved and try and walk as far as they could to raise money um, and then the school that were walked the most miles actually um got to win a little prize um so we do lots of different things like that really um but the main part is kind of just raising awareness and making sure that our visitors and the children really understand why we're here and what our purpose is um so yeah it's really important that we make sure from a young age that they understand you know that we're here to protect the animals and their habitats too I have really enjoyed my time at Woburn Safari Park. What an absolutely incredible place to visit. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. There's a load that we didn't cover. There's even a foot safari where you can wander around, see alpacas and lemurs. They've got sort of a, a mini railway there. There's a pond with pedalos that you can go on. Do check it out if you have the chance to visit. All right. Thanks, Adam. You can find out more at Woburn Safari Park and get tickets by searching Woburn Safari Park. Now, Paul went down to Camley Street Natural Park in London recently to chat to some very special people about a very special event happening in London this weekend. Yes, thank you, Bex. I'm here at Camley Street Natural Park in London, right next to King's Cross train station. And I'm here for a very special day. I've heard Sonic the Hedgehog is here. Well, I'm here to find out about hedgehogs and how we can keep them safe. And also there's a connection between hedgehogs and bonfire night. My name is Ben Fogel and I'm a presenter and a broadcaster passionate about wildlife. And I'm here today, I've teamed up with the British Hedgehog Preservation Society to basically teach kids about the importance of protecting hedgehogs' habitats. With bonfire night coming up in just a couple of days, obviously a lot of people build big bonfires, they set off fireworks and what we're here to do today is not tell people you can't do that because you know lots of you listening to this might get great pleasure out of it but it's more just reminding people to think about uh the the effects you may have by making that bonfire so if you've made that bonfire a few days ago in the middle of the night when you were asleep a hedgehog may have thought that is a perfect home for me and gone in to live there and then you light it and you know the, the hedgehog um, will die so we're trying to encourage people to only make the fire on the day of bonfire night and if you have to do it ahead of time move it so that you, you, you literally take it apart and then rebuild it so you can make sure that there are no hedgehogs in there what should you do if you find a hedgehog that is a brilliant question well if you find a hedgehog first of all if it during the daytime that's a bit worrying because you shouldn't really find a hedgehog during the daytime because they're nocturnal which means that they're out at night so keep an eye on it you could put some food out for it um, but they're lactose intolerant which means you don't put milk out you could put a little bit of cat food a little bit of dog food if you had some you could crumble up some dog biscuits but it's very important you don't put milk down and keep an eye on it and if it looks like it, 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 it isn't moving away then you might call one of the animal wild
wildlife rescue centres to ask them what to do. Hi, I'm Hugh. I'm a spokesperson for the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. So we're here at Camley, uh, which is just this fantastic place uh, near King's Cross in London, um, which I've walked past before and not noticed, um, uh, because well, Sonic the Hedgehog is launching a new game. Um, I have to admit, I have no interest in computer games, but I am a big, big, big fan of hedgehogs. Um, so this is a perfect opportunity to then talk to people who are coming, excited by the game, um, to, to learn a little bit about real hedgehogs and about the threats that they face and about the ways that we can help them. And it's bonfire night coming up, and I've heard that that can be quite a important time to look after hedgehogs. Can you explain maybe why? Well, bonfire night um, coming in the, yeah, the end of the autumn uh, is is a perfect time for hedgehogs to be looking for what's known as a hibernaculum to build a hibernaculum, and that is the nest they make to hibernate in. And hibernation is a fantastic thing. The hedgehog goes into it's like a really deep sleep. They shut down most of their body. It, it, they're almost almost dead and they're there like this for the winter so that they can serve energy so they need a really good shelter for this and the big problem we have is that you can build an amazing shelter for the hedgehog when you're actually building a bonfire and so the worry is that that people are going out of their way to make a nice bonfire thing and over two or three days they're piling stuff up the hedgehog comes along and goes this looks amazing and so the hedgehog snuffles in there and obviously then there could be a horrible accident if somebody lit the bonfire so we're really asking people to if you must have a bonfire um, build it on the day you're going to burn it that's all you need to do then the hedgehog won't go into it because the hedgehog as you well know are nocturnal so they're not going to be out during the day and beyond Bonfire Night or before Bonfire Night, what can we do at home to maybe help look after hedgehogs that might be in your garden or something? Well, probably the best thing you can do to help hedgehogs if you've already got them around is to get rid of the cult of tidiness. So if you've got a mum or a dad or a care or anybody else who goes around the garden with one of those hideous vacuumy things blowing the leaves around the place or spends all their time collecting all the leaves and sticking them in bags and sending them away tell them to stop because those leaves are what hedgehogs need they need them for their shelter for their hibernation nests but they also need the leaves to rot and as the leaves rot they then form food which is eaten by insects and the insects then lay eggs which become the grubs that the hedgehogs will eat in the spring so we need to let the garden become a little less tidy well, there you go. So that's how hedgehogs and bonfire night are connected. So remember, if you are celebrating, if you're making your own bonfire, make it on bonfire night itself. Make it on the day. Don't make it a few days before, just in case a little hedgehog might come in and make it its home. And if you do have to, for whatever reason, make it a few days before bonfire night, just make sure you properly check or move the bonfire before you light it. All right, cheers, Paul. Now, Halloween is today. Ooh, Monday. But if you're listening to this in in the future, obviously, Halloween was recently. And Meg's got some great tips on how to use surplus pumpkins. You might have seen that there are still lots of pumpkins left in the supermarkets that you think, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to go to waste? Well, I have a great recipe that means that you can use a pumpkin to make something from Harry Potter. So grab a pumpkin from the supermarket or perhaps you had one that you didn't decorate and you can make these amazingly tasty treats. 
Now, if you're a fan of the Harry Potter books or the films, well, you'll know all about pumpkin pasties. If you remember in the very first film when Harry gets on the Hogwarts Express for the first time and they come around and they're serving pumpkin pasties and he famously impresses Ron Weasley by buying everything on the trolley. I'll take the lot, is what he says, including some delicious pumpkin pasties. Well, we're going to make our own today. The first thing that you need to do is cut your pumpkin into chunks. You're going to need an adult to help you with this because you will need to use a sharp knife. So this is one for the grown-ups to start off with. So let your grown-up cut the pumpkin into chunks. Remove any of the seeds and then you want to sprinkle it with a nice layer of vegetable oil and just massage that into your pumpkins and then pop them in the oven for 200 degrees until soft. It took me about 45 minutes and here they are, my lovely soft pumpkins, which are all nice and cooled down now. At the same time as you're roasting your pumpkins, if you want to keep the vampires away, which I would recommend at this time of the year because there is loads of them about, then roast a whole garlic bulb by cutting off the bottom and wrapping it in tin foil with a little bit of oil. This will make some delicious roasted garlic. So to make the filling for our pumpkin pasties, I'm going to fry two leeks. You could use an onion, you could use spring onions, you could use anything. I'm frying two leeks. I've got, well, I am an adult, so I've chopped them, but you should get an adult to help you chop them. Added some minced garlic, and then I've added a pack of fresh sage. Now, the reason I'm using sage is because at Halloween, witches would use sage to help them with their spells. In fact, white witches, who are good witches, would use it all the time to kind of cleanse the air of spirits. And it also goes brilliantly with pumpkin. So I've popped that all in a pan and now I'm going to add the pumpkin. You can add it with the skin, without the skin, it is up to you. And I'm just mashing it down a little bit with some salt, a stock cube, I've added a little bit of lemon as well and my roasted garlic. Now comes the fun part. I'm going to make a template for a little mini pumpkin out of baking paper. So I'm just cutting out a pumpkin shape on my baking paper. I guess it kind of looks similar to an apple. And then I'm putting this stencil that I've made out of baking paper on some short crust pastry. Now I've been a little bit lazy. I've bought the pre-made stuff. Um, you can use short crust pastry. You can use puff pastry as well. Um, I've got the pre-made stuff and I'm cutting out like my little shape. I'm just going round it with a butter knife and then you can go and cut it out properly. You could use scissors, you can get an adult to help you with a knife. And I've got my little pumpkin shape. Now this bit is the bottom, so I'm not gonna add anything to this bit. And then I've got a spoon of my mixture, I've popped it in the middle, and then I've made another pumpkin shape, but this one, I've used a butter knife to cut out some eyes and a mouth, just like you would on a real pumpkin that you were carving for a lantern. And I've placed that over the top, and the filling is starting to kind of come out of its it looks a little bit creepy and I've made it so that it matches up and I've gone round the edge just with a fork to crimp it and keep it all together and then I've got a little bit of milk and washed over it so I've got my cute little pumpkin pasties now and they look like pumpkins which I absolutely love I'm going to pop it into the oven and bake it at 180 degrees until crisp 
Honestly, they look so adorable. I've made these three years in a row now um, for the people at Hogwarts. I was going to say my friends, but obviously I am at Hogwarts right now. So Harry, Hermione, their children, all their friends. Um, I've made all these pumpkin pasties a few years and they really do go down well. And if you are an avid, avid, avid Harry Potter fan, then you might remember in the Book of Spells, some students used a hardening charm to play tricks on other students, such as turning a pumpkin pasty to consistency of stone just before someone bit into it. So don't tell Bex, but I've done that to her pumpkin pasty. Bex, are you feeling hungry? <laughs> Thanks, Meg. Remember, there's loads of episodes of Activity Quest that you can go back and listen to any time at all. If you're after some more suggestions, just scroll back in your podcast app and pick an episode you fancy. Whatever you do, and however you do it, tell us at funkidslive.com slash activityquest. And remember to rate, review, and follow this podcast wherever it is you're listening to it. I'm Bex, and this has been a podcast from the UK's children's radio station, Fun Kids. It was produced and edited by Adam Stoner, with additional production by Paul Tregunner, and additional editing by Meg Long. Listen to me on your DAB digital radio, online, on the free Fun Kids mobile app, and on your smart speaker. Just say, play Fun Kids every weekday from 4pm. See you soon!